class today. It's kind of a survey um, of, of just lots of different things. Uh, uh, some of it's very lowbrow, almost profane. Um, some of it, I hope, is profound, um, or at least uh, 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 a little bit more edifying. But, but we'll kind of skip a stone through a lot of different things, really to kind of tap on Christmas and just what's coming in, in two days, both at a cultural level but also at a, um, at a, uh, a more um, scriptural and... and uh, hopefully something a little bit more to do with the heart. So that's what we're in for today. You have about seven more seconds if you want to get up and go somewhere else, because otherwise <laughs> we're going to uh, dive right in. Um, a little bit of sausage, Truman Capote, El Greco, uh, uh, the Apostle uh, Paul. There'll be lots of different things. So let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this um, day we do give you great and humble thanks, especially on the uh, the eve of the eve of the birth of your Son, as you, um, the word of the Father, um, uh, would in flesh appear. We give you great thanks for that. Now, Lord, in just the next few minutes, take, a, take this time and speak. Make it your own and allow um, uh, Christ to be known. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, reference to the sausage is just silly. Uh, but I saw this last year sometime. Let's see if this works. Um, Nothing says Christmas like sausage. Isn't that oppressive? Um, uh, I mean, it's just sausage and bacon. It just—I mean, there's just somebody that took all this time. So, this is Scott Settle, ladies and gentlemen, right here. So, um, no, just kidding. Um, I just wanted to work that in, and I thought, you know, the best way to work this in is just put it in front, and then we can move beyond it, and it's done. So, um, that's it. <coughs> Christmas um, literally means Christ Mass. Uh, back in the, the church goes back to the third century. Thomas Cramner, um, uh, our uh, Archbishop Thomas Cramner, who started the Anglican Communion, uh, the English reformer who wrote the prayer book. We've done some classes on him this year recently. He wrote both of these collects. Better, and this is what Frank's doing his class on this morning. I'm going to spend about three or four minutes on it. He's going to spend 45. Um, the first one, and this is what Thomas Cramner's real genius was, is he was a great, what you might call, redactor or synthesizer. He would take um, what was already there um, from all sorts of, of sources in the tradition. He would be what we would call very widely read, uh, and he would pull it all together and, uh, and make something out of it. He wasn't what you would call an original thinker, like Martin Luther or... Um, or an Albert Einstein or something like that. Uh, but his genius was sort of in a different class and order, but no less profound. Um, and so the first colic is an example of what he pulled together that was already in, in the Christian tradition, in the church at that point, which then became known after the Reformation as the Catholic Church versus the Protestant Church. Um, he pulled together several of the rites about Christmas and, and, and synthesized that into what we now know as a collect, a collection of several ideas and pulls it together in a prayer, which often is, is spoken as a preface to a, to a service. And then the second one is his, um, is his own, uh, is completely his own original work. Um, he did have, he wasn't completely without um, original uh, pinning. Uh, so he, he pulled that together and it's, um, it's, it's probably one of his most theologically dense colics. Um, and order these two things. In a, in a certain way. So here are the Christmas collects. I thought it was a nice way to begin the class. Um, o God, who make us just glad with the yearly remembrance of the birth of thine only Son, Jesus Christ, grant that as we joyfully receive him as our Redeemer, 
so we may with sure confidence behold him when he shall come to be our judge, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. So that's, you don't know this, but that's not Thomas Cramner's original work. He certainly has his, his imprimatur on it where he pulls it together. Um, but what strikes me and others, I think, about this collect is, uh, is in some way it's not, um, it's not what I would expect on the front end of a Christmas collect. It's not, it doesn't emphasize the incarnation, the coming of God in, in, um, in Christ. There's, a, there's, a, there's really more of an emphasis or at least an undertone of the, of, of the atonement, of the redemption of his people. Although we, he maketh us glad with the, we're in a passive tense again, we're made glad, um, who maketh us glad with the yearly remembrance of the birth of thine only son, Jesus Christ, grant that we may joyfully receive him as our redeemer. That's not a Christmas theme, typically, that we would receive him as our redeemer. So we may with sure confidence behold him, we shall come to be our judge, the second coming, the final coming, which didn't happen two days ago, um, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. The second one, his original penning, uh, pulls them together. Not only the, um, and I'm borrowing a lot from Paul Zoll, former dean here in his book, um, The Collects of Thomas Cramner. He, he points all this out. Um, Almighty God, which has given us thine only begotten Son to take our nature upon him, and as at this time to be born of a pure virgin, grant that we, being regenerate and made thy children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by thy Holy Spirit, through the same our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the same spirit ever, one God, world without end. Now this gets the incarnation as well as the, the atonement pulled together. It's God's for usness with his with usness, which are intertwined. And, and, and it's most theologically and, and scripturally, one of, amongst his most scripturally dense where he captures the themes of the Trinity, of Christmas, of Good Friday, of Easter, of, uh, of the, the, the massive theme of our adoption as, uh, as children of God um, and therefore heirs to his eternal kingdom, uh, and then the, the, the magnet of grace. Paul Zoll's word, just to offer this out, this is what I'm going to do a lot, is just try to, to highlight some places that we can sort of carry forward in the next few days, next 12, 15 days as we celebrate Christmas and hearing some hymns, etc. and so forth. If you are some who come on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I think what you hear on Christmas Eve is the first collect, often on Christmas Day the second. And Paul Zoll's point would be that it wasn't an accident that Cramner arranged these two collects in this way. <coughs> Excuse me. That, um, in typical Zollian fashion, uh, it's sort of a Lone Ranger-like thing where you're in need and you need a rescuer, you need a redeemer. You're in trouble, and uh, and somebody comes and they rescue you, they redeem you, they exchange your your perilous fate for safety. Uh, only then, after you're safely brought away and back um, off the cliff, so to speak, do you then look up and wonder who was that masked man, who 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 helped me, who was that? And so we look for God first as our redeemer. The essence of every prayer is really help. In other words. Lord, help, I need. This is not working. Um, uh, only after the help is received, um, Christmas happens. Christmas happens by saying, who, who is this one who comes to help? Who is this one who has satisfied once and for all 
the sins of the whole world. Um, not mine only, but the sins of many. And so it's this ordering from the redemption part, which Cramner got, and he had his emphasis there. There's no, no sentimentality here. Uh, to the uh, to the to the, to the shores then of um, of Christmas from Easter the Redeemer to Christmas Emmanuel God with us his for usness then leads us to wonder who is this that's with us um, and then that backfills our entire life so that's what I want to do with the collects just to kind of look at that to think about what is this love which comes down any comments there'll be lots of time for I don't know. It's got lots of material. I'm not going to finish it all, but I want to leave plenty of time for um, for a comment or two if anybody wants to to offer one. Any thoughts? <clears throat> so if we find that, you know, maybe nice, but relatively high, um, not to be undone. If you follow Mockingbird, you may have seen this. Uh, uh, David Zoll posted this a couple of days ago. Um, a take on Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, but with a, a slight different text. We're not going to listen to the whole thing, so don't don't settle in too much. And they go through and do the whole thing, um, which is good. Uh, we're not, um, but it is good. Uh, I would I would recommend it. And uh, just wanted to put a break in here as much as anything else. Um, I don't know who did that, but wow, the internet. You know, that's really what I want to say. Um, and what fun I have in my job on Fridays that I'm. Hey, I'll take a look at this for a while. Hey, I'll take a look at this for a while. Um, what it didn't do is. Uh, also just kind of stay sort of up even though they were playing with puppets um, and, and just say you know this is just love and we should all love each other and sort of say oh Merry Christmas and and kind of feel warm and, and, and gooey and all it actually has and I'm not going to pick apart the text here like I did Les Mis or something but it, it introduces the idea the truth about Christmas that love comes down we no longer climb Jacob's ladder 
we no longer go up. That's the whole message of Christmas. If we're thinking about something next few days, um, Christmas is a great time to remember that uh, God has come to us and there's no need for the effort, even the first step of moving towards the heaven. That was the Tower of Babel, and it was soundly rejected as a strategy and as a plan. Um, and this begins to get it through you. This begins to get it through you. This sun, which is being sent, will wash away our sins. Um, it's the downward, downward, downward movement of God. And towards capturing that, I thought one thing I'd do um, is just look at a lot of the hymns that we sing, a lot of the carols and the hymns, and, and capture some of these themes again as we start singing them and hearing them for the 57th time in the last you know, seven weeks now. Um, one, uh, an Advent hymn that we've sung, in here, uh, sung here at the church in the last few weeks from Charles Wesley in the mid-1700s. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let uh, us find our rest in thee. Love comes down. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Not bring us up, O Jesus, to where you are that I may be also. That's not, that's not a right prayer. Um, the prayer is, come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Um, it's not to say that it never leaves the manger just as, wow, what a pretty baby. Um, there's always the shadow of the purpose for which God limited himself and poured him into bone. Uh, that he was born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let, our find, let us find our rest in thee. And then also Christina Rossetti's great hymn, Love Came Down at Christmas. Love all lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels gave the sign. Um, and we'll look at some more of that as we read the scriptures in a few moments. So even something as simple as a whatever church this was that did the Bohemian Rhapsody takeoff, um, captures the downward motion of Christ's um, coming, which I think is appropriate. Back up to the tacky. Um, if my mother-in-law is listening, you sent me these, which I appreciate very much. Um, just some great, I mean, look at these Christmas cards. This, uh, you know, a lot of y'all have seen these. This is not new, but I just wanted to pull it. This, this has got to be Modern Family, um, if you're a fan. Uh, you know, with the clown is what I meant by that. Um, this has got to be my family. <laughs> Maymay would know, which I speak, not our immediate family, but my family back back home. This is not May May. I'll show us. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have our Christmas card yet. Um, so nothing but Moo Moo's says Christmas. Um, it's ama- I don't know if you can see this very well. It's wild what people will do on a Christmas card to sort of begin to pull things out. Um, come on, go on. Um, yeah, I don't think so. And then uh, this looks like my dad, if you saw him last week, um, <laughs> along with a bunch of people who would just rather be somewhere else. Um, and then people hit the, uh, the shirt or the sweatshirt says world's best dad with a picture of the dog. I would describe this as losing perspective. Um, not to be outdone by someone else <laughs> who has lost perspective. Um, so, I mean, the earnestness with which things are done, so... You can't really see it, but this girl seems to be the only one who gets... Rea- you can't see what I'm pointing. The girl on the, the bottom right with the, the dour face 
She's the only one who has perspective, evidently, saying this is a family that I don't want to be a part of. Um, much like this poor woman <laughs> just completely taken advantage of, this would be classified as abuse in a lot of uh, clinical settings by this woman saying, hey, let's put this on grandma. She can't do anything about it. So. Um, and then uh, <laughs> that was my picture. Um, and then going back to, uh, I, I don't know, the, 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 the need for nudity in Christmas cards is really wild. So, But there's one more, the coup de gras. Um, hello, Dolly. So they're running the, uh, the, the creation part. So once again, I'm not going to make it. I mean, there's nothing. I'm not gonna say, so therefore, you see Christ come, you know. There's none of that, so it's not there. But I will do this. Um, that was tacky art. See the segue? That was tacky art, and this is profound. Um, this, I'm glad Clayton's here. Um, uh, anybody step up. This is um, uh, an artist I've never heard of, Oskar Kokoschka, um, an Austrian impressionist. Clayton's nodding, so please come in, really. Um, Clayton Colvin, an artist and teaches art history and a friend of mine and knows a lot of what he's doing. Um, I like this, and here's why I like it. Remember, somebody get the the, uh, the lights, if you wouldn't mind. Thanks, Matt. Um, this is the Annunciation. Um, there's two Annunciations, which we saw in the pageant today. The Annunciation, um, that's good, because I can see my notes. Thanks. Um, the angel Gabriel is the one who does it both. He seems to be the angel, God's messenger, who, who comes into this world and makes the announcements. Uh, he did it some in the Old Testament as well as, as the, he's the one who's charged with that. In the new, this is the angel Gabriel on our left, um, the, the female figure that seems to be nude, and then, of course, Mary, um, where the angel is announcing to Mary that she will have a son. Um, a second annunciation, which we'll see in a minute, is the announcement to the shepherds that there's a sign uh, in Bethlehem. Um, but this one I like because rather than the pristine, clean, um, somewhat sterile, which is given to convey a moment, I mean, there is, there's, I'm not, I don't want to denigrate that completely, these brusque, and I don't know anything about this, and so Clayton, I'm going to give you the floor in just a minute if you have anything to offer. To me, it's brusque, um, you know, sort of harsh, expansive, sweeping, evocative. Uh, I think it invites the swirl of emotion into which... Christ was born. Him we're going to lead in a little bit about the hopes and fears of all the years resting on thee tonight, O little town of Bethlehem. Uh, it's prefiguring that, that there's a, um, an appropriate amount of terror, I think, that's even in this. The contrast with that is the face of the angel, which is almost the center, um, I guess the two faces are, uh, of, of that serenity, of that purposefulness. Um, it was just a different... Annunciation, as I was looking through a lot of wiki paintings and that sort of thing, uh, uh, and it struck me. So it's one I wanted to pull out and um, allow us to look at as we read Luke 1. But anybody want to make a comment? Clayton, maybe in particular? Hey, Joe. Sorry about that. Um, I have to be honest, I didn't hear you, but thank you. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. So, um, what that, I mean, what does anybody else think? I mean, isn't it great? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, 
Well, are you going to show El Greco also? I am. Yeah, so let me read then first, and then we'll look at El Greco. Uh, flip through my notes here. Um, Luke 1, uh, verse 26. Here's the story. <clears throat> In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's this downward motion, almost offensive to this little girl, Mary. Again, love came down to her. She didn't take a step forward. She didn't ask for this. She didn't want it. Um, and Simeon later is going to say, by the way, uh, a sword is going to pierce your soul as a result of this favor which you found from God. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, you know, that's, uh, that's our story. It's, it's heavy. There's a swirl here. Um, there's a mix of emotions. And I think this evokes that mixedness for me. Um, continuing, uh, uh, another piece, and I've showed this guy before, um, Peter Bruegel. Um, we looked uh, at a painting of his about a year ago, whoever was in my class, uh, of, of, of Christ on his way to Calvary. This is called The Census at Bethlehem. Um, can you might pick out... Uh, this is, you know, obviously, in a, in a, I think he's a Finnish, uh, no, Danish, I guess, a Danish artist. This is Bethlehem. Um, you can see the folks sort of in the lower left kind of gathering for the census. They're all checking in and, and, and registering, et cetera, and so forth. But there's the hustle and bustle of the, the countryside in this little village where people are kind of just doing their own thing. But, of course, um, Christ is arriving in the womb of Mary, being led by Joseph. Can I pick them out? Kind of in the center. You can barely see it, so here's a detail. Um, uh, where Mary, on the, 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 the back of the donkey, is just kind of arriving. You can see where she is, sort of in the lower left. Contrast that where there's this sense of life goes on. I mean, doesn't that sound similar to our press here these weeks? Life goes on in the midst of Christ's arrival, um, in the midst of Christ's coming. Um, I think it appropriately illustrates the uh, hiddenness and the subversive nature of the way that Christ does, in fact, come. Nobody notices. Uh, life goes on as if it was... Um, uh, no big deal. Everybody's just doing what they always do day in and day out. And yet, here comes Mary, uh, the one who has found favor with God, um, to register for the, for the census. Not unlike Philip Brooks' hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Philip Brooks was an Episcopal clergyman, in fact, up in Boston um, in, a, in the late 19th century. Um, I know we have heard these words, but sometimes it's helpful to, to read them rather than sing them, to hear what, uh, what it's about Contrasting to the to the bustle and hustle of, of Bethlehem here and to our own sort of lives moving, um, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Sort of that contrast of um, of this uh, this motion. I think one way, and it's not 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 a reach. Bethlehem, a buzz 
because here it is, everybody's coming. Remember, the, the, the inn was full, and, and there's, there's, there's thousands of people that normally don't live here that had to come back. And so it's not quiet, per se, but it's as if it was as good as a sleep, because it was missing. It was missing what was really happening. It was missing the pivot point of history, the, 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 the fulcrum of time, in fact, you know, before Christ, after Christ's birth. And, oh, little town of Bethlehem, you seem to be asleep, because you're not noticing anything that's important even as you're full of buzz. And so Phillips Brooks writes, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep <clears throat> and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above, while mortals sleep and angels keep their watch of wondering love. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in and be born to us today. So this contrast is what I'm trying to connect to of the hustle and bustle of life goes on, of everything um, uh, on the surface as it always is, and yet the work of God, the steady work of God, uh, turning history right on its ear, in fact. Um, for those who've been in lame is mode, that's a big theme in Les Mis, by the way. So, um, so uh, got lots of notes. Before we move to El Greco, um, uh, first, William Blake, an artist I've also shown several times. This is the Annunciation to the Shepherds. We're moving stories now after the Annunciation to Mary and the, uh, and the arrival in Bethlehem. Um, William Blake, you know, sort of a Renaissance man, an artist, a poet, an author, um, lots more besides. Uh, the Angels' um, Annunciation to the Shepherds in the Fields. What draws me to William Blake is just his unique style. And here I like the, uh, the, the mixed media, I guess is the way you'd call this. And, um, and again, I just kind of zip zero zilch about art. I just kind of make this stuff up as I go. Uh, but it's all sort of, it looks like pen or, or pencil, but then he's got a little bit of color in there. And I like that, that wash it out part, that washed out aspect of the, uh, of the light which penetrates all of us from the angels, where you can just barely see some color in the, uh, in the shepherds as this, uh, as this new thing is beginning to happen, um, the sense of being washed through. And there's a detail of this that I saw which I really like. It highlights the colors and all that. And this just made me think of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, if y'all saw this. I mean, it's here, dun, 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 bum, bum, you know, it's right there. But it's, uh, it's very striking, and you can see in the distance um, the birth which is happening as the shepherds are keeping watch out in the fields. Um, one other, and then this is the El Greco piece that uh, uh, is also here. The Annunciation to the Shepherds, a little bit of a mix because now they're here and they have come to see the baby Jesus. Um, the elongated form of El Greco, especially the, uh, the, the, the shepherd on the right with his um, sort of massive calf muscle, um, the envy of every cyclist, I guess you'd say. Um, that was funny, but nobody else did. Um, 
uh, with this light which proceeds from the baby. It's this weird use of light where it's proceeding out, where you can see Christ at the center. Uh, he's definitely the light, and it's going away. There's this, it's completely unnatural. Um, but then again, so was the birth. So here's this. Um, what draws me here, and we're going to look at a different piece. This evidently was a, a, a theme which must have fascinated El Greco, I guess, because, uh, because here, as well as in this one, which is a little bit more clear, same, same idea, different, different painting. What do we notice that's at the bottom of this screen that was also at the other one, if you notice this? You can see here at the feet of the elongated shepherd with the yellow. See the lamb that was bound up at his feet, as well as here, the lamb which is bound at his feet. Look, his whiteness is rivaled and, and surpassed only by the whiteness which is coming out of Christ. And so here's the prefigurement of the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God which has come to take away the sins of the world. Um, so El Greco is putting again the downward motion of God, not for, for, for you know, a purposelessness, uh, but with an exacting purpose that you have come and broken in to wash away, to take away our sins as the Lamb of God, which, which will take away the sins of the world not every year, as in Yom Kippur, uh, but, but once and for all, um, bound and killed on our behalf. Um, uh, that's the image of the Lamb of God. Um, so, uh, also, this, uh, this elongated figures and the dissonant colors and the swirls and the use of dark and light, um, it just brings out this note of Simeon uh, to, to Mary, as he said, um, uh, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. And uh, uh, I'm sorry. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This unholy light, this penetrating and exposing light, which comes forth. Here's the story from Luke. Um, and in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Comments or thoughts about O'Greco or Peter Bruegel or anything else? We're going to shift off the art focus for a moment and, uh, and look at something else. Clayton, yeah. That's good. Yeah, especially that one. Um, to see that in a seven-foot panel or something would be remarkable. Um, read this this Christmas, Truman Capote's uh, A Christmas Memory. I don't know if any of you have read that. Not a Christian book at all, 
uh, near as I can tell anyway, but, but there's a, a scene in there which I really enjoyed. This is a, a Truman Capote, uh, a, you know, supposedly, I guess actually a friend of um, Harper Lee. This is a Monroeville girl right here. You can say much more about this. Um, uh, contemporaries and all. It's just a, a, a memoir, a memory, a Christmas memory from when he was seven years old. Uh, uh, so sort of in the early 30s, right, right around the Depression, uh, where he befriended uh, sort of oddly a 60-something-year-old woman. And they were best friends. Um, she called him Buddy, and, and I think he called her Snook or something like that. Anyway, the point in the, in the story, what they're going through is, uh, uh, and he makes the point uh, of, of the labor that was involved to make fruitcake. Um, they spend three days shelling pecans, for instance, to make enough, to have enough pecans so they could have fruitcake. And they scrape together money all you know, year long in order to get the materials to, to give them out to their friends, and some of their friends are very colorful. And this is one of the uh, uh, scenes where they're going to buy the whiskey, Prohibition era, Alabama, um, where they're going to buy the whiskey from a, uh, a speakeasy run by an Indian named Haha ha, ha Jones. So there's, you know, Haha ha Clinton Dix's namesake, which is what I thought of. But um, So here's this. Of the ingredients that go into the fruitcakes, whiskey is the most expensive, as well as the hardest to obtain. State laws forbid its sale, but everybody knows you can buy a bottle from Mr. Haha ha Jones. And the next day, having completed our more prosaic shopping, we went out for Mr. Haha's business address, a sinful, to quote public opinion, fish fry and dancing cafe down by the river. We've been there before and on the same errand, but in previous years, our dealings have been with Haha's wife an iodine-dark Indian woman with a brassy peroxided hair and a dead-tired disposition. Actually, we've never laid eyes on her husband, though we've heard that he's an Indian too, a giant with razor scars across his cheeks. They call him Haha because he's so gloomy, a man who never laughs. As we approach his cafe, a large log cabin festooned inside and out with chains of garish gray naked light bulbs and standing by the river's muddy edge under the shade of the river trees where moss drifts through the branches like a gray mist, our steps slow down. Even Queenie, that's their dog, even Queenie stops prancing and sticks close by. People have been murdered in Ha's cafe, cut to pieces, hit on the head. There's a case coming up in court next month. Naturally, these goings-on happen at night when the colored lights cast crazy patterns on the Victrola wh- in the Victrola whales. In the daytime, Ha's is shabby and deserted. I knock at the door, Queenie barks, my friend calls, Mrs. Haha, ma'am, anyone to home? Footsteps, the door opens. Our hearts overturn, it's Mr. Haha Jones himself, and he is a giant, he does have scars, and he doesn't smile. No, he glowers at us through Satan-tilted eyes and demands to know what you want with Haha. For a moment, we are too paralyzed to tell. Presently, my friend half finds her voice, a whispery voice at best. If you please, Mr. Haha, we'd like a quart of your finest whiskey. His eyes tilt more. Would you believe it? Haha is smiling, laughing, too. Which one of you is a drinking man? It's for making fruitcakes, Mr. Haha, cooking. This sobers him. He frowns. That's no way to waste good whiskey. Nevertheless, he retreats into the shadowed cafe and second later... Seconds later, appears carrying a bottle of daisy yellow, unlabeled liquor. He demonstrates its sparkle in the sunlight and says, two dollars. We pay him with nickels and dimes and pennies. Suddenly, jangling the coins in his hand like a fistful of dice, his face softens. Tell you what, he proposes, pouring the money back into our bead purse. 
Just send me one of them fruitcakes instead. Well, my friend remarks on our way home, there's a lovely man. We'll put an extra cup of raisins in his cake. And it goes on. I, just, I, just, I was just moved by the story. The sense of, of uh, this hardened Indian man. I had an image of John Coffey, you know, the, the uh, character in the Green Mile. Um, what's the actor's name? He just died. James David Duncan or something like that. Big, big, hulking man, hard. And then turned just by the simple act of, um, of, uh, of kindness and friendship and says, tell you what, just take this money, these nickels, these dimes, and these pennies, and bring me one of them fruitcakes instead. We're just saying joy to the world. Uh, there's a sense of the unbounded grace of God common to all, because this is not, a, this is not particularly Christian in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's just a general revelation of God's grace to all people that grace abounds and pours out um, as far as uh, uh, as far as the curse is found in fact um, no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found as far as the curse is found as far as far as the curse is found even mr. haha there's that aspect of, uh, which captures the, the intrusive and unasked for grace of God, I think. Moving quick, because um, I need to wrap up. Um, let me see what I have here. Um, yeah, this is Augustine. We'll look at him. Uh, St. Augustine, one of our saints, uh, one of the biggies, in fact, um, uh, he wrote a small um, meditation on the Incarnation. I shared this with the staff. So, were you there Tuesday? So, um, capturing the paradox of the Incarnation, capturing the paradox of Christmas, that in the midst of the swirls, there's peace. In the midst of um, of, a, of a birth that would result in the massacre of the innocents, for instance, the Bible quickly goes there. Uh, that birth is heralded as the Prince of Peace. There's all these paradoxes which are square up, that stare us squarely in the face. And here's a few. The maker of man became man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline, might be scourged with whips, that he, the foundation, might be suspended on a cross, that courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, that life might die. Um... Moving quickly, I read a book recently uh, by John Irving. Several of y'all would have read it. A Prayer for Owen Meany came out in the late 80s, and so it's kind of old now. But he had a great point, a great little quote, very quip, in fact. Anyone can be sentimental about the nativity, and any fool can be uh, like a Christian at Christmas. But Easter, Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a believer. Uh, if you don't believe in Easter, Owen Meany said, don't kid yourself and don't call yourself a Christian. 
goes forward, and I thought of Charles Wesley's great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It also speaks to the courage of seeing Easter squarely as we rest at Christmas. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This displacing paradox that Augustine gets, that Charles Wesley gets, that um, in the bleak midwinter, that great hymn gets, uh, uh, there's a displacement that occurs as Christ is displaced from the ends and is born in the stable that describes that the way that God comes to us is the way that ultimately he is for us. And that's the word of freedom. So the last part, we're going to skip a great letter from Jan Hus. And look at, um, at the Apostle Paul in Colossians as we look again at El Greco with his, uh, the adoration of the shepherds of the Christ child as they bring the bound lamb at the Christ child's crib. Um, hearing these uh, soaring words from Colossians where Paul is describing Christ uh, in what is typically called his preeminence. Um, and then we'll wrap up with this. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So with that, um, maybe a minute or two for a comment or a thought um, before we pray and go off to have a Merry Christmas, I hope. Any comments? Any thoughts? Let me pray. Lord, take this time, um, and uh, as you entered into time and reduced yourself and became uh, enfleshed, um, enflesh yourself, make yourself known to us in a real and tangible way that we would have this peace which passes all understanding. Um, uh, make our hearts always thankful, uh, turned towards you, um, especially this Christmas. Um, may you and your Son rest and reign with each here and all whom we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Merry Christmas. <laughs>